as we come around God, God's word together, let's pray. Father, we um, <clears throat> are grateful for the Holy Spirit and his work in our life. Uh, we're grateful that um, you have worked in Christ. Um, so the work of redemption that we no longer stand condemned in our sins, but we have been declared righteous and um, enjoy a full fellowship with you, and we're grateful. But Lord, as we open your word, we know that uh, you will minister to us right now. You will communicate your message to us through your word by means of your spirit as he energizes its effect in our heart. Uh, so we pray for that now, that you would meet us here in the midst of this day, the challenges that we face, the different circumstances that we all are in. Uh, Lord, we need to hear from you. And uh, we thank you that as we open your word, that's exactly what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. We are running out of vocabulary to describe 2020, aren't we? Remember when the word epic was kind of cool last year, and now it's like epic seems underrated compared to what we've gone through. Unprecedented, historic, uh, it has been quite a year. In fact, the elders were meeting the other night, and we were, we were talking about our, our 2020 goals. <laughs> Remember that? Remember your goals? Of course you don't, right? We've long forgotten them uh, in the midst of just trying to navigate the murky waters of a pandemic and all that's come with it. It's been an unprecedented year. Uh, restrictions related to, to COVID, freedoms limited, masks, uh, school being done in a very, very challenging way, and the stresses that this has put on our marriages, on our families, on relationships, uh, friendships, travels being restricted, nursing home restrictions. And we say, when will this end? Economic problems. We look at the economy, look at the challenges, the stock market, our retirement. People have lost jobs and work and uh, all sorts of effects there, differences, challenges. We've seen in the last several months race tensions, race relations, agitations coming as accusations of racism are thrown. And uh, it's true that racism does exist, and it ought to be a concern. But even more concerning is the use of the accusation of racism as a battering ram to push through one's agenda. We live in a broken world. We've seen an upsurge of violence, protest, rioters, lawlessness in the streets. We've seen the demonization of police and other others who are called to enforce law and protect in fact, uh, you probably read the news like I did this last week that in our own state, the state of Texas, uh, the Austin City Council uh, passed legislation to cut the Austin Police Department by $150 million, roughly a third of their budget. And in case you haven't noticed, everything is an opportunity for politicalization today. Have you noticed this? Everything. Everything becomes an agenda item. Everything becomes a means to manipulate and, and to, to bring about one's own desires. And that just breeds hatred and dishonesty and greed, pride, false hope, jealousy, and pretty much every ungodly thing. Remember Paul, when he's talking about all the bad things we can do, and he says, and everything else like these? That's what we're seeing. Oh, and by the way, it's an election year. We all feel good about that, don't we? 
as if we needed one more thing to worry about, one more thing to fear, one more thing to be anxious over. There's an election coming in November, and there's all sorts of opinion and things going on with that. And on top of that, you have personal challenges, don't you? You have health issues in your family. You have relational issues in your family. You have economic issues in your family. You have loved ones that you're concerned about. You've got appliances that break and houses that need fixing and car. You've got all that on top of that. So my question is, how are you doing? Are you hanging in there? How are you feeling? If you're feeling a bit unsettled, maybe even a bit discouraged or frustrated or maybe agitated is a good word, I've got good news for you. You are in the right place. Because as we come to this psalm today, our psalmist finds himself feeling some of the exact same things that you and I have been feeling this last month. Unsettled, disheveled, agitated, discouraged, uh, uncertain of his future. And this is good news because as we recognize the challenges of life that we face today are really not that different than the pages of Scripture, we find hope. Because what we're going to see in our psalm is that God loves to meet us in moments just like that. You're in the right place because agitation is where David is, right? That's Psalm 37, and and God is going to minister to us through this psalm with divine guidance to help us with the struggle. And as I mentioned, we don't have time to go through the whole song. It's it's too long. So we're just going to look at the first 11 verses, and I hope that we can hit all the major themes there. Uh, The title of the message today is Divine Guidance for the Spiritually Agitated. And I think we all need to hear this. So how is this how is this going to work? Um, you know, David Gibson preached us last week. Wasn't that a great message? Thankful for our brother David. David always gives us pictures and diagrams and charts in his notes, and uh, it's always hard to follow David because I feel like I need to put a chart up here for you. So I did. I want to because sh- we're just going to look at a snapshot. I want you to visualize Psalm 37 with me because you'll get lost in the weeds uh, if you try to read it and you don't have your, your navigational aid with you. And again, we're only going to look at the first 11 verses. That leaves some homework for you to do later on. So I want you to get the big picture, okay? So Psalm th- what's Psalm 37 about? Psalm 37 is about how does God help us when we're agitated, when we're frustrated, when we're unsettled, when we're worked up about something. And how does he help us? How does he do that? Well, he's going to help us uh, in these ways. And you'll see them as we go through uh, your sermon outline that hopefully you have in your bulletin. But let me just visualize it here. And, and because I love you, I put the diagram on the back of your notes. Okay? So no drawing needed, no artistic talent. If you left your, pe- your colored pencils at home, don't worry about it. We got it right here. Okay? So how does God help us? He helps us by reminding us, first of all, not to get excited. God would say, I love you, you need to calm down a little bit. And we'll see that here in a few verses. And that leads, that's the put off, right? That's what we, not, we don't do. What should we do in its place? Instead, we should actively pursue God. Don't get excited. Don't get all worked up. Actively pursue God. He's going to talk to us about how do we do that. And then that leads to him saying, and remember... The reason you don't have to get all worked up, the reason you don't have to be unsettled and agitated is because... All those bad people, all those wicked people, all that sin and difficulty and suffering and challenge, all that stuff that you see out there, you know what's going to happen? 
bad things are going to happen to those people. They are going to come to final judgment. And did you notice as we read Psalm 37, the contrast, the rich, the righteous do this and the wicked do this. And the righteous have this wonderful thing to look forward to and the wicked, this is what's going to happen to them. It's kind of like Psalm 1, isn't it? Right? The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. And, and it kind of echoes that, but in a more expanded form. So he's going to say, don't get excited. Actively pursue God. And as you do, remember, bad things are going to happen to all those people that are wrecking havoc in the world right now. But the righteous, those who belong to the Lord, will inherit the land. And then he's going to say this. I want you to think about that. Now, we don't do thinking very well in our culture because we're so busy. We're sort of preoccupied. So one of the challenges of this message is we need to stop when we're all worked up and say, wait a minute. Am I really worried? Do I really need to be worried if my destination is I inherit the land and the wicked die in judgment? You need to think about that. And that, the, the reminders of the destinations of both the riches, the, the, the righteous, I keep wanting to say riches, the righteous and the wicked are what motivate us to follow God in this psalm. Okay, does that make sense? You with me on that? Okay, so with the big picture uh, understood, let's parachute now into the details, okay? Uh, Look with me at Psalm 37, verse 1, and I want you to see that, that first main idea, okay? When you're agitated, when you're unsettled, when you're worked up, when when things are not right because you look out at the world and you go, ah, when is this going to end? God says, don't get excited. Turn away from anxiety and envy. Look at the first two verses with me. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Let's just stop right there. Do you see that little word fret? Does your Bible say something different? Nasby says fret. You'll see that that occurs three times. It occurs here in verse 1, again in verse 7, again in verse 8. Whenever you hear the Bible repeating things three times, holy, 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 right? Whenever you hear stuff like that, you're supposed to stop and pay attention. God, when he emphasizes things in a threefold way, is telling us, highlight that, star, star that, circle that, that's really important. And he says here, do not fret, do not fret, do not fret. Now, now that little word fret, it literally means to get worked up. That's what it means. Don't get worked up. Don't be agitated. Don't get excited. Don't get heated up. And, and you and I know what that's like. The Hebrews had a way of describing that. We have the same way of doing that, don't we? And, and can we just can we just put our hands up and just admit, we're all friends here, we do this. The first step toward dealing with your problem is what? Admitting you have one. So let's just admit, we do this. We get worked up. You talk to your Fox News app. You do. You get angry at Facebook. You do. When you see someone post, you, you do that. And God says, we need to stop. Don't get worked up. Don't be agitated. Don't get excited about all this. And, and by that, God's not saying we shouldn't care about righteousness and wickedness. He's not saying we shouldn't care about morality and all that. What he's saying is, don't get all worked up in your heart about it. 
Don't get excited. Turn away from it. And notice, notice what is the, what is the source of the anxiety, of the agitation. He says there, do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. So this is agitation. This is getting all excited because we look out at the world and we go, when will the bad guys stop? When will justice prevail? When will people care about morality? When will people love their neighbor? When will people stop hurting others and breaking into stores? And when, when will this stop? And, and God says, that's, that's the occasion I want you to think about. When you get all worked up over the evil people you see in the world. In fact, we have a description. Look down at verse 7. We learn about the wicked here in our psalm. Verse 7 tells us that um, the wicked man carries out wicked schemes, right? You see that? that? That's part of what they do. They carry out wicked schemes. Verse 12, they plot against the righteous. Verse 14, the wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and needy and slay those who are upright at conduct. Don't we see that today? You see biblical morality, what is right, what is good, that being assaulted, uh, even people being persecuted because of those things. That's what the wicked do. Look down at verse 21. The wicked borrow and does not pay back. <laughs> Let's not get into economics here, but that happens too, doesn't it? Verse 32, all the way down at the end of the psalm there, the wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. Or verse 35, I have seen the wicked violent men. This is, these are violent people. And again, we don't know the exact occasion that David is talking about here. We got lots of examples in his life of violent people and wicked people. But, you know, the, the point is to look at that and say there's no shortage of that same sort of thing today, right? Rioting, violence, accusation, plotting against the righteous, neglecting the needy, afflicting the poor. We, we see this today, don't we? we see, it's here. And God says, you need to stop getting worked up about that. In fact, he goes a step further. He says, not only should you turn away from anxiety about those things, look at the next part of the verse. He says, do not be envious Toward wrongdoers. And now, now, this, you gotta stop and think about this for a minute, okay? Cause I had to do this. When I think about how am I envy of wicked people, I go, I'm not. I mean, are you? Do you wanna be a bad guy? Do you want, and I go, no, but that's not what he means. He's not like, don't envy wrongdoers like you wanna be like them. No, 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 get this. What David is frustrated about is how the wicked always seem to be successful and the righteous always seem to fail. That's what he's envious about. He's saying, I envy the success of the wicked. David would would say this, we feel like the bad guys are winning. And that bugged him. I I mean, just... Just think back over the last 25 years. Most of you can remember that. Some of you are in the front row. Remember back 15 or 17 or whatever you are, okay? Um, think what's happened in terms of drug abuse in our culture. Prescription drugs, uh, illegal drugs. Think of the drug problem we have today. It seems like every week you read another headline about drug cartel and some gang and people die and, and our children and, and right? You, Think about what's happened in 25 In 25 years, think about this. What's happened to marriage? We saw in one generation the redefinition of marriage. One generation. We go, how did that happen? We, we see the 
homosexual and transgender agenda, which is now normal in society. And, and this hit home right here in Dallas just this last week. You may remember there was a judge that ruled just this last week right here in Dallas against the father of eight-year-old James Jorgulis, ordering that he must pay five thousand dollars a month to his former wife so james james eight years old can have gender reassignment surgery because that's what mom wants and that's accepted that's normal that that's just what you do in fact this is being celebrated as a great victory of american society and we say why isn't the gospel that successful Why isn't righteousness that successful? Why isn't morality that successful? Why are the bad guys winning and those of us that care about morality and care about the gospel and care about the Lord, why does it seem like we're not having that level of effect? That's the sort of envy that he's saying. Why can't we be that influential? I thought we were on the right side. How does God help us? You ready? Write this down. Stop. He says, I love you. Stop. We've got to stop getting caught up in this. We've got to stop being worked up and, and envying the success of wicked people influencing society. He says, calm down. This song calls us to stop and think about how we are responding. We need to turn away from anxiety and envy. Why? Why? Look at verse 2. Because the wicked will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. And that introduces one of the main reasons why God tells us to calm down and go a different direction. He says, stop, think about this. I know it looks like the bad guys win. I know it looks like all this is going the wrong direction and all hope is lost. And God says, but it's not. The wicked won't win. Immorality doesn't win. Evil does not win. Wickedness doesn't win. Wickedness and sin and suffering and everybody engaged in it dies just like your grass did this month. Right? How, your grass looked really nice in May, didn't it? It's nice and green. Had that, remember all that rain we got back then? And the summer was pretty mild. And then the, thra- the three last weeks hit, right? And now it's like crunch, crunch, crunch. It's dead. And God says, that's what the wicked are like. They look like they're flourishing today, and in a moment, they're gone. So don't get all worked up about it. Calm down. Let's let's keep our head where it needs to be. They wither. They die. And you know, if we don't do this, and and you know this, because I do this too. If we don't calm down, if we stay in this state of agitation, if, if we continue to get all worked up about this, you know what happens? We risk adopting the ways of the wicked, don't we? We risk this, using questionable means to accomplish a good cause. And you see that in politics, you even see that in church. So we need to calm down. We we need to get our head back where it needs to be, to not get all worked up, to not get all agitated, to not envy the success of the wicked and come back and say, there's got to be a better way. There there is. There there is a better way, and that's what we see in the next verse. Okay, so don't get excited. Turn away from anxiety and envy. Here's the second thing. Here's the better way. Actively pursue the Lord. 
actively pursue the Lord. Listen to the commentator uh, Derek Kidner, one of my favorites. Listen to what Kidner says. Okay, this is really insightful. An obsession with enemies and rivals, or we might say world events, cannot simply be switched off, but it can be ousted by a new focus of attention, a preoccupation with the Lord. You got that? You see the wisdom of that? He's saying, look, you can't just stop. There's no off button in your life to just stop worrying, stop envying, stop being all worked up. But you can do something instead. You can replace it. And like all change in the Bible, we change not just by stopping the wrong thing, but by replacing the wrong thing with the right thing. So David says, here's what you need to do. Replace this worry and fretting and and being unsettled with actively pursuing the Lord. We must be more active in pursuing God than we are in taking in the world. Did you hear that? We must be more active in pursuing God than we are in taking the world. And you say, does this have implications for my social media habits? Yes, it does. Because if, if all throughout the week, all we're doing is taking in the world, and God gets like five minutes once a day, well, guess who's going to win in your heart? We must actively pursue God, and we must overcome by taking more of God in than we are in of the world. And he's going to give us five ways that we do this. And by the way, just a footnote on this, you you can't see this in the English, because somewhere we lost y'all and all y'all. I don't know when that happened, but we lost it. In the Hebrew text here, when he says you, right? So watch this. Look back at the text. Do not fret. Be not envious. Trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land. Delight yourself. You see all those? He's not saying you like, hey, Grace Bible Church, all of you. He's saying you singular. This is a personal psalm. This isn't a corporate event. God is speaking to you in your heart, in your circumstances, to your individual situation. He's saying, I'm talking to you as we hear this, okay? So five ways that we actively pursue the Lord. How do we do that? Number one, we trust in the Lord and engage in godliness. Trust in the Lord and engage in godliness. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Did you get it? The first thing you do, ready? Trust in the Lord. It's so simple and so incredibly difficult to do in days like this, isn't it? So simple, so difficult to do. We know this, but what does that actually mean? The, the language here, and let me, let me tease it out a little bit to give you an idea, because Trust, like faith and belief, kind of gets washed up in Christian vocabulary, and we use that word so often we forget what it means, okay? So here's a better way to think about it. You find your confidence in God alone. Here's another one. You find your security, your financial security, your economic security, your medical security, your, your work security, your family security. All these things we're all worried about. Find stability and security and confidence in God alone. My day-to-day well-being does not depend on what my news app tells me, what my bank app reveals to me, or the medical or spiritual conditions of my family and loved ones, and whether or not I enjoy endless or restricted freedoms, 
or any other circumstance. Why is a Christian confident? Why should you and I be confident? What does it mean to trust God? Here's what it means. It means I am confident, optimistic, encouraged, peaceful, thankful. I possess a quiet heart because God is on his throne and I know his character and I've seen his track record. And I've come to know that him through Jesus and I trust him. Where's your trust? What are you looking to? What do your emotions say about where you're placing your trust? It's so easy. It's so simple and so difficult to do. We must find our security and confidence in God's character, in his track record, in his works, in his promises. And notice, not, not just that we're supposed to trust God and find our security in Him, but, but what, do you, what do you do while you do that? Look at back at the text. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Don't ever think that trusting the Lord is a passive thing. Don't ever think that trusting the Lord is something you just kind of do in your mind, right? It, it, at, trust always leads to righteous action. And that's what we see here, right? I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to go do good. You say, good, good what? God's like, that's right. You go do good, period. You say, well, there's lots of good things. Yes, go do those things. It's unrestricted. It's go do good things. However, however overwhelming our world or our circumstances might be, or how agitated or upset or frustrated we might feel, we must win this battle of trusting God because God has called us to do good in this world. We read that in Matthew 5, right? We are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? We are supposed to go out and influence the world for what God says is important. We're the light of the world, right? We take the gospel message, God's message to people, and we broadcast it, we share it, we sing it, we go across the world, tell other people about it. We, we do that. We're salt. We're light. God has called us to do those things, to influence the world. And here's my question. How will the world know God's righteousness if we don't live it? How will, we, how will they know the gospel if we don't preach it? See, we've got to win this battle in our heart for trusting God, because if we don't, we're not going to do good. If we don't do good, no one hears about God. Our mission is, is critical here. In terms of the effectiveness that God wants us to have. So we trust the Lord, right? We engage in godliness, meaning we do good things. We, we influence the world for the gospel. And notice the last part here. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I don't know about you, but faithfulness is sometimes the last thing that I feel like doing. I mean, do you, do you feel like that sometimes? You get up... Bing, you know, first thing in the morning, bing, 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 you know, your news app, your social media is going, it's assaulting you with reasons to be frustrated. And you might be tempted as I am to say in those moments, what's the point? We're not going to win this. This is one more thing, one more bad, it is so discouraging. Why should I even try? And God says here, Don't give up. 
dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. What does that mean? You live in this world without being of this world and you be faithful to your mission, whatever happens. You let me trust the results. You focus on your mission. You be faithful. Cultivate faithfulness. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Don't, can I say it like this? Don't run away. I'll be honest, there are times I just feel like running away. You know what? This isn't fun anymore. I'm going to go find some quiet cabin somewhere with no people, no internet, no anything, and it's just going to be me, and life's going to be great. God says, don't run away. We need you on the team. We need you in the world. We need your influence in your neighborhood, in your family, at your workplace, in your school. We need you to stay where you are and be faithful to the mission. Because how else are people going to hear? You think what's going to happen on November is the hope for humanity? <laughs> That's not where our hope is, guys. We stay and we live in this broken world and be faithful to live the gospel, to fulfill our mission, to live the character of Christ. That's the first thing he wants us to do. So don't freak out. Don't be agitated. Don't get all worked up. Pursue God, right? Trust him. Do good. Don't bail out. Stay in. Be faithful to the mission, okay? That's what God has called us to do. Number two, take pleasure in the Lord and remember his promises. Take pleasure in the Lord and remember his promises. Look at verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? Well, the word delight means take pleasure. It's just what you think it means. It's find your happiness in him and your contentment in him. You say, where do I find my happiness? Well, that's easy. Bluebell ice cream. Right? Hanging out with my grandchildren. Um, a, a, a quiet evening after, where do you, okay, and God says, that's great, that's awesome, those are my kind gifts, but I want you to find delight and joy and pleasure in me alone, God says. Find it in Him. Find it in God alone. You say, well, how do I find my happiness in God? I'm ready to do that. Good news and bad news. The Bible doesn't give us a formula. You want to find your delight in God? Step one, step two. It doesn't do that. But here's what it does do. It says, if you will turn to the Lord and say, I want to be satisfied with you alone. I want to find my happiness in you alone. I, I, I need that. Psalm 16 says, in his right hand are pleasures forever. So go to him and say, I want what's in your hand. And he will not disappoint you. He will meet you there and he will help you to find a confidence, a happiness in him. You learn it as you go to him and ask him and get to know him. And notice this. Delight yourself in the Lord and then we get this blank check. Did you see this? You get a blank check. Uh, ask your parents what a check is, okay? It's like a debit card, but it's different, okay? So... He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You say, that sounds too good to be true. If I find my happiness in God, God gives me whatever I want. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's amazing. You say, how can that be? Because what you worship affects what you want. That's why it can be. What you delight in 
radically transforms your desires. That's why this can be true. If you and I are really delighting in God and finding our joy in Him, God does to give us all our desires of our heart. But our desires are really different when we're delighting in God, aren't they? When we're content in God, when we're happy in Him, when we're satisfied in Him, all those things we used to want, we go, yeah, those would be nice, but I don't really need them. And I would confess to you that there are many things that I want and I don't have. And you know what that means? I probably don't delight in God near as much as I think I do. Maybe much of my frustration replace, maybe much of my frustration relates to misplaced wants, wrong-headed desires, which would be resolved if I delighted more in God Himself. And, and good news, as I seek ultimate pleasure and happiness in God, I know it impacts what I want. You see, how would, how would I know? This is an important question. How would I know if I'm delighting in God? How, like, what, what would be the, the test there? Well, the Bible gives us some categories. How do you know if you're delighting in God? When your contentment is less dependent on your circumstances. Philippians 4.13. When you have a quiet heart, even when you don't understand what God is doing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When you experience an unexplained joy, even when you don't get your way. Philippians 1.18. When you lose all and still worship Him. Job 1.21. We sang about that, right? You give and you take away, and my heart will still say, blessed be your name. That's how you know. If you have never experienced delight in God, and maybe even don't, don't know what that means, will you, can you do something? Will you ask a trusted friend today? Ask a trusted Christian friend. Say, I want to know what this delight in God is, is like. It has something to do with the gospel. Knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never experienced delight in God, will you talk to a Christian friend today and ask them, how do I get that? I want that. I've never experienced it. Real joy and happiness can be found in an invisible God. And hundreds of thousands, millions of believers from all history have experienced it. And you can too. Okay, so number one, trust in the Lord, engage in godliness. Number two, take pleasure in the Lord and remember his promises. Number three, turn everything over to the Lord and trust him to work. Look at verse five with me. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Uh, Do you see that little word commit in your Bible? Anybody have a different version? Let's say something other than commit. It's interesting because it's actually a word picture. The word actually means to roll over. Not, not like to roll over like I ran over somebody, but like to roll it over to a different location. Uh, just a few weeks ago, um, uh, several of us helped uh, a friend move. They were moving down from Fort Worth to Granbury. And, uh, you know, what, that, what they had to do was take everything in their house, put them in boxes, get out the dolly, roll it into the truck, and all of a sudden down the road, right? And they're moving their stuff. And that's the picture here. God says, take everything in your life, box it up, and roll it over to me. Give me control of everything in your life. You know, we say it all the time, Jesus is Lord, right? That's true. You know what that means? He owns Everything. He has jurisdiction over everything. There, there is no corner of your life that Jesus doesn't say, I want that. Not because he's selfish, but because he loves you. 
And the Bible says, turn everything over to the Lord. Give everything over to Him. He wants you to give over to Him your health, your freedom, your care and well-being of your aging parents that you can't visit right now. We must give all to God. Give it all to Him. And then look what it says there. And then trust Him to do the work. Trust Him to do the work. In fact, the rest of this psalm tells us many of the ways that God works if we'll give Him everything. I mean, just just look at this. Look at verses uh, 17 and following. It says, The Lord sustains the righteous. He knows the days of the blameless. Verse 19, They will not be ashamed in days of evil. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. Look down at verse 23. How does God work for the believer who commits everything to Him? Look at verse 23. The steps of the man are established by the Lord. He delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Look down at verse 28. The Lord loves justice. He does not forsake his godly ones, but they are preserved forever. See, turning everything over to the Lord and trusting him means that he'll take care of it. He will take care of it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have anything to do, right? It doesn't mean we just sit around on the couch and don't do anything. What it means is until we really give everything over to the Lord, we cannot really engage in any sort of productive effort in this life. We have to give it all to Him first. And you know what? You will parent differently when you give your children to God or your grandchildren. You will work differently when you give your work to God. You will relate to people differently when you give your relationships to God. You will think about your life, your health, your neighbors, your money, your retirement, your politics, everything differently when you give them over to God. And now is the time to give all to God. We must roll everything over to his jurisdiction. Listen to John Newton, the author of that great hymn, Amazing Grace. If every event, great and small, is under the direction of his providence and purpose, and if he has a wise and holy and gracious end in view, to which everything that happens is subordinate and subservient, then we have nothing to do but with patience and humility to follow as he leads and to cheerfully expect a happy issue. The path of present duty is marked out and the concerns of the next and every succeeding hour are in his hands. Listen to this. How happy are they who can resign all to him to see his hand in every dispensation and to believe that he chooses better for them than they could possibly do for themselves. Do you trust God like that? Do you believe that he chooses better than you and I would ever do? Then we give all to him. We give control over to him, don't we? Number four, trade your talk for quiet before the Lord and wait for him to act. Trade your talk before the Lord and wait for him to act. This one gets personal, so I'm warning you ahead of time. Verse seven, rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. 
because of the man who carries out wicked seems. You notice it in. Don't fret, right? Don't get all worked up. Don't get caught up. Don't be agitated because of people, wicked people that are succeeding in their schemes. Instead, what do you do? You rest for the, you rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Now you notice in the outline, I didn't say rest. I said trade your talk for quiet because that's what the word means. It's not rest like I'm going, you know, I'm going to go lay down right now. It's rest like this. Be quiet. Right? You, you, can just, you can just hear the, the relaxation in that, right? Be quiet. In the context of people who successfully carry out wicked schemes, meaning the bad guys are winning, God reminds us to quiet ourselves in God. Now, it's true, when we are struggling, God does want us to call out to Him, right? He wants us to cry out to Him and talk to Him and do that. But listen, there comes a time after we have cried out to God, we have called out to God, we've prayed to God, we've casted our burden on Him, there comes a time after all that that God wants us to be quiet before Him, to rest in Him, to trust Him to do the work. Our hearts, picture, okay, picture a small child on their bike, you know, about, about six, seven years old. They're still kind of getting to no training wheels, right? So they're a little bit wobbly. They go and boom, and they just have a wipe out on the street. And he comes crying. I mean, he's crying. He's this and that. He goes for mom, right? He runs up to mom. And, and, you know, many of us have been in that experience. You know, he's crying. He's sobbing. He's trying to tell you what happened. You know, that, that, that big, that mean curb jumped out in front of me. And right. He's trying to tell you the story and he's sobbing. He's trying, and, and, and after a while, what does mom do? Shh, it's okay. Shh, calm down, it's okay. Right? Just rest. And that's what God is telling us to do, right? There's a time when God says, don't try to tell me everything that happened. Just rest in me. Just quiet yourself in me. And we can picture that mom with that small child just hugging him, embracing him. He's kind of whimpering, right? And, and, and right, mom's just there. It's okay, it's okay. It's going to be okay. That's the picture here. We've cried out to God. We've talked to Him. And God says, okay, good. Now trust me. Rest in me. Stop talking. You don't need to talk anymore. Just be quiet and rest in me. And while God does want us to talk to Him, there comes a time to stop talking. We quiet our hearts and then we practice what is probably the most difficult spiritual exercise in the human experience. We wait. We wait. How many of you are good at waiting? I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah, me neither. And yet the Bible says we're not going to get through this if we don't learn the spiritual discipline of waiting. In fact, that's what I wanted to talk about today in my message, waiting. I was going to do a whole thing on waiting, and there's some reasons why I decided to end up here. But, but waiting is really, really important. What does it mean to wait on God? Here's, here's a stab at it, okay? To wait on God is to exercise a quiet, expecting, hopeful confidence, particularly in the delays of life, that God will surely act according to His faithful word, guided by His infinite wisdom, which His providence guarantees will come at precisely the right time. And that's a mouthful, so I'll say it again, okay? And you can 
Get the tape later if you want. To wait on God is to exercise a quiet, expecting, hopeful confidence, particularly in the delays of life, that God will surely act according to his faithful word, guided by his infinite wisdom, which his providence guarantees will come at precisely the right time. Now, did you notice something? Waiting, in the list of things, like the shotgun of stuff God is telling us to do here, where does waiting come in the list? Last. Well, don't take my word for it. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate. Delight. Commit. Trust. He'll do it. Rest. Here it is. Wait. Waiting is last, right? Because while we're doing all those other things, we wait. We wait for God to do that. Verse 34 expands on this. You wait and keep his way. So keep trusting, keep doing good, keep committing your ways to him. And while you do that, you wait. You actively keep God's ways while you wait for him to work. So what do we do while we long for God to conquer all wickedness and evil and suffering? We trust him, we do good, we delight, we commit, and then we quiet our hearts and we keep following his ways. Uh, I got an email from a missionary friend, um, TJ and Karen Smith. We were classmates in seminary. Uh, They've been missionaries in India, and like many missionaries in India, they had to leave. And uh, so they're relocating. But uh, many years ago, they found out they were not able to have children, and so they began adopting, and they were adopting uh, these cute little Indian uh, children. And he writes in his most recent newsletter about waiting. He says, weights, like we're waiting for something, are like weights, like I'm going to go work out. Weights are like weights. Both make us stronger, but the process is often miserable. And he writes this, I wrestled this week in waiting for our children to come home. Today, August 8th, my son, Sarab Timothy, turns four years old. And I wondered, are we even emotionally allowed to celebrate his birthday? Is he real? Why is that? He was two when we signed his adoption paperwork over a year ago. He is legally my son, but he is not my in my arms son. In fact, I've never met him. I don't know what his voice sounds like or what makes him laugh. Am I allowed to think of him as my son? And he goes on to explain delays and court dates and visas. Now they're stuck on the state side. They can't get back to India to adopt. Listen to what he says. All of us are waiting for something. This worldwide pandemic arranged by God has resulted in a near universal phenomenon of delay. Weddings, schools, graduations, degrees, surgeries, even funerals. Many are weary in the wait. You'd think that all this waiting would make us really good at it. Yet even those well exercised in the rigors of waiting need reminders. Now listen to this. One of our temptations while we wait is to think, oh, if I can just finish this adoption process, then we can get on with our lives. However, as a child of God and his disciple, moving on to the next thing is never the goal. Loving God and loving others right where we are is while we wait. We remember that waiting is a time unto itself, a time to lean into deeper intimacy with the Lord, a time to learn greater dependence on Him, a time to grow in holiness, a time to give glory to Him. And as we all wearily wait for, fill in the blank, 
May the locus of our hope be not for a change in our circumstances, but with hope in the unchanging nature of our God who loves us. Isn't that good? Waiting. He's working in our waiting. The last pursuit that we see here is turn away from anger and calm down. Turn away from anger and calm down. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. What's the psalmist doing? He's saying, calm down. Don't get all worked up about all the wickedness you see and the wicked prospering and and the society going down the, the, the tubes. Don't get all worked up. Actively pursue God, right? Trust Him. Take pleasure in Him. Turn everything over to Him. Trade your talk for Him. And finally, turn away from anger and calm down. You know, I've noticed something consistently in my life. I make really bad decisions when I'm angry. How about you? In fact, usually I look back on those decisions with great regret. And that comes as no surprise because the Bible says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, right? And that's the warning here. Don't be angry. Don't respond in anger. It's not going to accomplish the righteousness of God. It only leads to evil doing. Remember Cain, right? Cain got angry because God didn't accept his, uh, God didn't accept his sacrifice and he went out and he killed his brother, right? He was vulnerable in his anger and he went out and did more evil doing. So don't fret. Calm down. One more time he says that. And let's remember too that a sinfully angry Christian is really kind of a troublesome witness because anger amounts to nothing less than a confident assertion that whatever we might say we believe, we really don't trust God in terms of what he's doing. So let's turn away from anger, calm down. It's just going to lead to evil doing. Instead, turn back, trust the Lord, and do that. Okay, so don't get excited. Actively pursue God. Now look at the third thing. This is the, re- the whole psalm says, why should you turn away from that? Why should you pursue God? Here's the reason, okay, you ready? <laughs> this is great. This is, this is like the best part of the whole thing. You ready? Look, look up for a second. I want to see here. Ready? Eschatology. You're like, is that like a yoga thing? No, no, no. Eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. It's, it's the study of what happens in the future. And, and most Christians kind of yawn at eschatology because they think it's all about charts and maps and it's not going to affect you anyway. Can I show you how eschatology is critical for you and I in our mission? It's critical. It's the main reason God gives between the righteous and the wicked. You say, well, how is that? Well, well look with me at, at, the, at the notes here. Bad things happen to the wicked. What's that? That's eschatology, right? Verse 2, they wither and quickly die away like the grass. Look at verses 9 and 10. Evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more, right? We, we can go on and on to verse 13. The wicked plots against the wicked, right? The Lord laughs. Why? Why does God laugh at the wicked? Because God sees his day coming. This is really important, guys. Do you know why we don't have to be despairing about what's going on in the world? Do you know why the headlines ought not to ruin our day? Do you know why when you see unrighteousness and wickedness winning and morality and biblical truth receding and eroding. Do you know why it doesn't have to ruin our day? Because the wicked do not win. God wins. God judges them. He 
rules over them. He will bring them under his feet and one day he will put this whole thing to rest and you will look around. That's what the psalm says. One day you'll look around and you'll go, where'd all those wicked people go? God says, I took care of them. You need eschatology. You need to think about what's going to happen then, now, so you don't go crazy. But it gets even better. Not only do the bad guys not win, look at the next part of this. The righteous inherit the land. And you've probably seen this over and over and over. We see this several times, uh, I think five or six different times in the psalm, where the Bible says, the righteous inherit the land. The righteous inherit the land. And we go, great. That's awesome. We get real estate. Why do I not feel great about that? Well, remember, to the Israelites, what was that? The Israelites inheriting the land was connected to the covenant, wasn't it? This is a promise that God is going to fulfill His word. That one day He regathers. Pastor Terry just talked about this in Romans 11. He's going to regather Jewish people from all over the world, redeem them, and bring them back, and they will reside in the promised land. God says, see, I'm faithful to the word. The wicked don't win. The righteous, my people win. And you say, that's great, Keith, that I'm not an Israelite. That's true. But do you remember... In Matthew 5, we read this, the the Sermon on the Mount, right? The meek, the gentle, will inherit... Does it say the land? No. It says, what? The earth. Now, I remember as a kid, I'm like, I don't want the earth. Earth is full of bad stuff and bad things. You know, it's hurt and pain and all that. No, when Jesus says, the, the meek, the humble, inherit the earth, he's not talking about this earth. He's talking about the new one. He's talking about the day when he destroys and judges and he makes a new heaven and a new earth and there's no wickedness and there's no pain and there's no sin and there's no sorrow and there's nothing but righteousness and goodness that reigns around to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And we enjoy that and we sell it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your Fox News app? Ding, first thing in the morning you go, oh, good things. Ding, oh, good things. Social media, ding, good things. And you go, wow. That's what it's going to be like. That's why we have hope. That's why we don't despair. Jesus isn't talking about this earth. He's talking about the new earth. And listen, listen very closely. Listen very closely. You will never enjoy peace and joy that God has for believers in the midst of this broken and frustrating in world until you are completely convinced that this world is not your home. C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's why you're frustrated. That's why it doesn't make sense. That's why you're not settled here. Because we, God has designed us and made us for a different world that's coming. So let's not lose heart. Let's keep our head in the game. Do you, do you long for your home? Your real home? Do you long for a world where wickedness and sin and fretting and anger and all that is put away? Do you long for that? So let's turn away from anger. Let's not get caught up in all this. Let's pursue God. Let's be faithful to our mission. Let's delight in Him. Let's be confident in Him. Let's trust Him. Let's wait on Him because we know where we are going. And he wins. 
And for all of us that are in him, we will be there with him as well. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this incredible psalm that reminds us to keep our head in the game, uh, to cast our burdens on you, to trust you, to wait on you, and know that there is a future coming that is more beautiful and amazing than we can possibly imagine. Lord, we long for that. We wait for that. That's why we're unsettled here. Lord, remind us of that. Make us faithful to do what you've called us to do. Help us to not grow weary in doing good. Help us to spread the gospel as effectively as we can and to live like we really believe what we just read. In Jesus' name, amen.